Good evening. So my name is Liz Gray and it's good to be here sitting outside or pretty close to the Supreme Court. I've come down this afternoon to record the sermon and also to pay my respects to an extraordinary woman who died last week, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm going to be talking about her a little bit more in a moment. But first of all, a reminder that we are in a season where we are talking about God's power. And last week I talked about God's power in creation and we thought about the ways that we can delight in creation and co-create and the fact that we must always be careful of our environment. And finally, the A was for always remembering that we are made in God's image, that each person is an icon of God. And I'm going to come back to that in a little bit as well, this reminder that people are people. And so first of all, rules, rules, rules. What are the, what's the purpose of rules? I'm sitting here in front of the Supreme Court and the main function of the Supreme Court is to make, uh, make rules, to construct them and to think through the ways that they should be for the flourishing of society. Most of the rules that we're aware of are much smaller rules, you know, the kind of rules we have around the house, like, uh, okay, if you want dessert, you have to taste everything on your plate. Or if you want to go on the television, work, uh, play on the computer, you have to finish your homework. Or if you want to be out and about, then first of all, you need to clean the dishes or make your bed or all the sort of household rules that one has. And then of course, at the moment, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So there are COVID rules where you should definitely wear a mask or where you're able to not wear a mask. And it's fascinating watching different countries around the world working out how to interpret those rules. And so you see contrasts of countries like Sweden or Japan, where the ways that they've approached making rules about COVID is so very different and reflects the ways that they want their culture to operate. And so rules are not always universal. But I'm sitting here particularly because I want to remember Justice Ginsburg. When she died, Chief Justice John Roberts said this, our nation has lost the justice of historic stature. We at the Supreme Court have lost a cherished colleague. Today we mourn, but with confidence that future generations will remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg as we knew her, a tireless and resolute champion of justice. And as I've read the stories about the thing that I've noticed is that she was motivated by this idea that pe all people are people. And so she's pretty famous now for having worked so hard for the rights of women, particularly in the workplace, for which I'm really grateful. I'm so grateful that somebody decided it was worth fighting for laws, for equal pay for men and women, for equal opportunities, for equal rights in the workplace. But so interesting that she didn't necessarily tackle it as a women's issue a lot of the time. She tackled it as a people issue, that all people, all people, regardless of gender or skin tone or ethnicity, should have equal access to just laws. What an extraordinarily positive attitude to have. One of the other things that I really appreciated as I read about her this week was her relationship with Justice uh, Antonin Scalia. The stories of them going to the opera together, the stories of them laughing together and just enjoying a deep and rich friendship, despite deep philosophical and political differences. And to me, that epitomized so much of what I see as good 
about the work that she did. And much of her life was spent working out rules that would make this society flourish. We might not agree with everything that she did and all the judgments that she came to, but we can all agree that she was tireless in her pursuit for what she saw as being a just end. And the context in which she did it is looking for a good rule of law. And if you're involved, and many of you are at Incarnation, anything international, you know that one of the things that we strive for is looking for countries around the world to achieve a good law, rule of law. And the definition of that is where a country where the laws are clear, publicized and stable, are applied evenly and protect fundamental rights, including the security of persons and contract, property and human rights. The processes by which the laws are enacted, administered and enforced are accessible, fair and efficient. And we kind of know what happens when there is no rule, no law. I don't know. My book of the week, perhaps, is Lord of the Flies, William Golding's kind of horrific story about what happens when you get a bunch of kids and you put them on an island and you, you don't give them any rules. And we see what begins as order gradually disintegrating into chaos. And where there are no rules, so often people bruise each other as they struggle to find the power and that they want to hold control. And actually, that reminds me, I was going to ask a little bit earlier, kids, if you're still listening, I don't know what you think about the things that I'm saying, but you do know about rules. You know about the fact that your household has rules. So what would it look like if you wrote the rules, if you rewrote what your household rules were for homework and bedtime and play? Or perhaps you could invent a game in which there are rules where, which you have to comply with as well. So make sure that when you write the rules, it's rules which you are happy to to play by but otherwise so what are the rules now God knows first of all that we need rules and so much of scripture talks about rules and some people think about the Bible as simply being a set of rules but actually it's not quite like that if you remember last week we started off in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 1 and then chapter 2 we have the story of God forming a relationship with Adam and Eve and if you remember, if, or if you look back to Genesis 2, in uh, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. Listen carefully. Remember, Adam and Eve already knew good. They already knew God. They had been walking in the garden with him. This lovely, lovely idea of just relaxing and enjoying the goodness of being in a relationship with God. But here God's giving them the opportunity to know evil as well as good. Giving them an opportunity to step away from the freedom they knew and to choose something rather different. And they chose. They chose because they just couldn't resist it. They chose to know evil. And then what we see as the Bible unfolds is the consequences of that act of disobedience on the part of Adam and Eve. And we see God with constantly remaining calmly in control and developing rules for his people and telling them how they're going to live together and then how they're going to live with other nations. 
And so we see the story unfold with God's covenant with Noah and then uh, with Abraham, again, delineating how they cooperate with other nations. And then with Moses, the Ten Commandments, which we heard read earlier. And these are probably the laws which we think of most often when we think of God giving us rules. But after Moses, you get a whole lot of rules unpacking in the, in the Old Testament. But we come to King David. And when we get to King David, we begin to see God's promise of Jesus coming into view. God's promise all along was that Jesus was going to come, that he was going to come as a baby and that there would be a noted shift then in the paradigm of God's people's relationship with him. There was going to be a new freedom. And so at the Last Supper, we see the covenant which Jesus proclaims, the new covenant, when he says that through his death and resurrection, there's going to be uh, a change in the way that people are going to relate to God. There's going to be an opportunity for new freedoms, for a change of heart, for our hearts to become soft and a chance for us to become forgiven and to access a new relationship with God. Again, it's all about freedom, freedom to flourish, freedom to love God. And Jesus has already said uh, in answer to a young lawyer's question that what people are required to do is to love God and to love their neighbor. We say it every single week in church. Love God, love your neighbor. And this is then the purpose of God's rule. So the history of God's rule is that he starts off with one rule and then develops the covenants. And of course, people then begin to interpret. And I'll talk, mention a little more about that in a moment. But what is the purpose of God's rule? Well, I've already said it. It's to enable people to grow in their freedom of loving God and loving their neighbor. And secondly, it's to protect people, it's to provide safe boundaries within which they can behave, within which they can flourish, because rules should protect. As we heard read in uh, Galatians a little bit earlier, the law is beautifully described as being our guardian. And from a Christian perspective, we can see how the law is provided in order to shield us, to lead us into this loving freedom with God. And so we come back to sitting here outside the Supreme Court. We come back to thinking that we are Christians and we operate within a Christian culture, but we also operate within the larger society that we exist in. So what is our responsibility to the law which is represented by the Supreme Court? Well, first of all, I think it's our responsibility to remember uh, that we are this is a place that we are responsible for. It is an area that we're responsible for. If you think about organizations, some of the organizations which I know and love are ones like IJM, International Justice Mission, which works with countries around the world and with the USA to ensure that the laws that it has on the books are the ones which affect the people, that the laws, the just rule of law is used well for the, for the flourishing of all people. I grew up in South Africa as a privileged white South African in a time when apartheid flourished. And I was so aware, even at the time, that the law was not there to protect the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the black, people of Indian descent, people with skin tone different to myself. The law was there to protect the white privileged people. I'm so grateful to see the changes in that country over the last few decades. As the law has changed, 
to make it a more equitable place. It's not perfect by any means. And so we see the law unfolding. So God's law is there to protect and to enable people to live in freedom and to love him. And so the law, the way God organized it is that quite often he will give a principle. So uh, a principle might be thou shalt not kill. And then in Leviticus, you might see that it's unpacked with little micro laws. You, 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 things are brought a little bit more uh, closer to hand. So there's a law against people having a roof without a, a parapet around it because that's dangerous and that might cause people to fall off and die. So we have a, a duty to protect. But then when we get to Jesus again, we see that he takes it a step further. And the beauty of that passage in Matthew 5 and as it goes on is to talk about the way that Jesus says, Okay, it's not just you must not kill, but you must not kill in your heart. You mustn't have anger against your brother. You mustn't have, a, you mustn't have that longing to kill someone. So he says it's much deeper than simply the physical act. There's something within ourselves that has to be changed and tackled as well. And so going back to the Supreme Court, what is the church's role in all this? Does the church have any business getting involved in the laws of our society well there's this beautiful verse in micah chapter 6 he has told you O god what is O man what is good and what does the lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your god actually if you read through scriptures there are many many references that are similar which tell us that we have to love justice we have to love justice and that is implications in ephesians 3 chapter 10 we read chapter 3 verse 10 we read his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of god should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly roles realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in christ jesus our lord the church is meant to hold the manifold witness of God. So what does the church do? What do we do if we see people being treated unfairly? What do we see do when we see that the law does not favor the disenfranchised? What do we do when we see that people um, have different access even to buying houses or to obtaining loans or to getting jobs or to what do we do when the law favors the rich the privileged what do we do when we see that rules do not fit the, the rules we see in our society around us do not fit with the rules that we see God applying to humanity or God wanting us to work through well I think we recognize that when rules are not made according to God's law ultimately they're going to lead to disorder and so we need to look for ways to ensure the ultimate flourishing of all people now uh, to be honest we're not all going to land up being high court judges or supreme court judges or even judges at all I mean maybe Catherine will but she's our best bet in that hope for most of us our role is much simpler yes we have a role as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice, and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. Yeah, we have a role, 
We have a role to exercise power with love and to exercise power with love in order to implement the demands of justice. And there are ways that we can do that. And uh, I was doing a prayer training with some earlier this week and I was reminded that our mantra for prayer at Incarnation is to listen, love and pray. Okay, and I'm going to add something extra onto that. Our, our job at Incarnation is to listen, love, pray, and then to act and speak in humility. Because even Jesus says, he says to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. We love. We make the assumption that we are going to love all people as all people are made, as icons of God, and that in everybody there is something of God which we can see reflected. And so we are called, charged, instructed to love people. And so that is the position we need to come from. And that actually helps the next one, because the next one is to listen. And you know, it's really tempting sometimes to feel like we've got it right. Um, it's really tempting to just want to tell people our position. It's really tempting to just push through an agenda. But every single person has a reason for the position they landed up in. So particularly in this fractured season, and we see the fracture all over us, particularly perhaps in regard to now the struggling as to how uh, Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat is going to be filled. We see people letting go of principles, letting go of what they believe in, in order to fight for power. Let's not be like that. Let's be people who kind of recognize, we listen and we recognize that everybody has come to their position through some story. And in order to listen well, we need to hear those stories. We need to understand. So we have to take time. We have to take time to pay attention to those around us. We need to take, pay particular attention to the stories of those we disagree with to the stories of those who we might even call our enemies. So we listen and we love, and once we've heard, we pray. Honestly, we're not gonna get anywhere in this if we don't pay attention to what God's saying. And even as we, I mentioned a minute ago, that God gives us a principle that then comes down into uh, the minutia of law, we need to understand what God's heart is. Not everything has a rule given to us in scripture. There are things we have to discern there are things that we have to work out. What really is God's will? We have the principles. We have to kind of jostle in our brains and with each other as we try and establish how is that interpreted in our current situation, culture and time. And then we're encouraged to act and to speak, but to do so with humility. Go back for a moment to Justice Ginsburg's relationship to um, Justice Scalia and the way that they listened to each other, the way that they took time to hear each other's point of view. This is the challenge for us in the church today to navigate a season where people have become so polarized, where rancor is high, where communication can be fraught. I read this quote this week from Menno Simmons and from whom the Mennonite tradition is named, who was talking about politics and said, boast not that you are mighty upon earth and have great power. Seek the kingdom and country that will endure forever. 
and reflect that we, however highly esteemed upon earth, are only pilgrims and sojourners in a strange land. So this week, pay attention to the laws that you see enacted around you, whether the small ones in your household or the ones affecting you as you go out and about in your neighborhood. Look for the ways that you can care for the marginalized, the least amongst us. Look for the ways that you can love with intentionality. And this week, my prayer for you is that you will do justice, that you will love kindness, and you will walk humbly with your God. I'm going to take a few moments of silence. <laughs>